When a magician develops a really spectacular trick, he can copyright it and even license it for other magicians to try. Well, we speak with longtime Hot Springs magic performer Maxwell Blade this week and look at other things to do in Hot Springs as well on what we'll call the magic episode of Hot Springs This Week. Hot Springs This Week, a look at things to do and people to meet in Hot Springs, America's first resort. Welcome to Episode 6, and thanks for listening. Hi, I'm Neil Gladner here in America's First Resort. In coming episodes, we'll visit with more people who make Hot Springs such a destination favorite. You can hear us on Apple, Google, Stitcher, Spotify, Anchor, several other platforms. And you can find us on Twitter at HSThisWeek. Also now on Facebook. And I appreciate your feedback. We'll visit with Jennifer Bailey later in this episode about fun things to do here in Hot Springs over the coming weeks, and we'll get an update on Lakes Hamilton, Catherine, and the Washita River flows with Kimberly Bogart, but we start this episode at the historic Malco Theater with magician Maxwell Blade. So we're sitting at the Malco Theater. Maxwell, before we get into magic and the shows and all of that, the Malco is really historic, and you just finished doing a, a complete renovation of this facility. So tell us a little bit about the history of this beautiful theater. Oh, it's spectacular. It was built in 1946. It was built on the site of what was once called the Princess Theater, which was built in 1910 and it burned down in 1935. And the Malco started uh, the construction in 1946. And this was the music hall of the South. It was a fantastic theater. It would seat 1,200 people. Uh, and uh, through the years, they had live performances here, but mainly movies. We have a lot of vaudeville type shows, but it's a spectacular Art Deco theater. And the de those days, uh, going to the movies was like an event. I mean, you went to the spectacular theater with the winding staircases and the chandelier, and it was like a, a big, big to do for your family. So, uh, you know, and over the years, of course, back in the 60s, they cut the building in half and made it into two theaters. Uh, and then eventually it closed about the mid-90s, right before I came to town. Uh, they were showing $1 movies. So it's, it's had its history. It's a spectacular uh, landmark in Hot Springs. And we're, we're happy to have been able to get it and restore it and, and put it back to what it originally was. And, and, of course, will be in the future, an event center more so than anything else. But, of course, lighting, sound, all of those things have advanced so much since the 40s. So it's, it's a modern show place inside a historical building. Absolutely. We upgraded it to all of the uh, modern technology with all the computerized lighting and sound. We did not hold back on cost as far as the lighting and sound. It's, it's a Vegas-style show, or Vegas-style lighting systems and sound systems. Uh, but yeah, the great technology is there with all the new LEDs. So tell us about your personal history. In, in Where did you get started in magic? What got your attention? And I saw a guy on television when I was 10, 11, 12, Mark Wilson. He produced a show weekly for quite some time, and I remember the multiplying ball trick. It was a multiplying billiard ball trick. And I never forgot that. And so I, I, I just had the desire and the want to learn how to do these incredible miracles, if you will, or you know, things that you shouldn't be able to do. Uh, and I continued that path and also played music which was my first love. And I did play music in the 80s for several years before I went back into magic full-time in my mid-20s. Uh, and it opened up a big show uh, that traveled around the country four or five years, and we came to Hot Springs as a location scout to put a permanent show. And, of course, obviously, eventually we, 
who chose Hot Springs. And, and then they had the Malco Theater from uh, 1996 to 2008, and co-opted a uh, deal with the Documentary Film Festival, and eventually we, we had the move in 2008, uh, and went down the street and built a small theater. We uh, run it for 10 years, three shows a day, and then the opportunity came back to uh, return home, so to speak. So I'm glad to be back in the Malco. It's my favorite theater in, in the entire world, and I just love it here. Having a big stage, does it allow you different kinds of performances than you could on a small stage? Absolutely. You know, I was accustomed to a big stage. And then when I built the small theater, what, what it enveloped from that was my comedic side really came out and my creative side because that stage was barely 10 feet and there were no stage girls, maybe one, but no big boxes. And I, I learned at that point, I, had to, I depended on those boxes and girls and things to kind of work around. So I had to get really creative, and, and I've always been funny, but my comedic side really excelled at that point. So in coming back, I was able to gel that. But absolutely, when you have a big stage, you can do so much more, because I have a lot of big, big props that wouldn't even near fit on that small stage. I kind of hear you saying being on the small stage, necessity being the mother of invention, might have in some ways made you a better performer. Oh, absolutely. It really did. And I was able to connect with the audience on a different level because they were very, very close and right there. And people loved the little theater. They, did, they loved the intimacy of it. In your profession, tell me the difference between, if there is a difference, between magic and illusions. When you're doing birthday parties when you're 18, if you're a magician, you can get 50 bucks a show. If you're an illusionist, you can get 200 that's the difference. That's the only difference. So just bigger and grander. It's a prestige thing. That's all it is. Yeah, I, I call myself an illusionist, a magician. Uh, it, it's all really the same. It's just a different term, basically. Uh, some people, well, let me say this. Some people may get from the illusionist side that that, that in, uh, entails bigger illusion, where a magician may do pr primarily close-up magic. So that might be one difference in a thought process of, of people. Uh, illusionists are big props, big toys. So if there were nine other illusionists with us, so there'd be 10 of you together, how many of the illusions are kind of common to all of you that, that all folks who do this do these two or three illusions? And how many do you have to think up and invent yourself? That's a good question. I think all of us might perform some basic standard things, or, or, or especially in the technique of the way some of the magic is done. We do have a common thread there. It depends on what kind of a magician you are. Are you funny? Are you serious? Are you, are you uh, Chris Angel? Or are you a comedian, a comedic type act? Where, where I'm a com comedy magic act. Uh, so, so that would be the path that some folks would maybe do this trick or that trick. But I, I think there's a common thread, and I try to stay away from the common. I, I don't really uh, follow. I think one might be the tear the newspaper in half trick and restore some of those. Of course, I do a torn and restored rope, but that might be one that we would all probably do in, in a show. But uh, yeah, and they're all different. And even I, I enjoy watching other magicians who even do uh, some of the illusions I do, but they do it a bit differently. And their character is what makes it happen. It's not the tricks. It's the magician who brings it to life that makes it fun and entertaining. And the better entertainer you are, the bigger your crowds are going to be. So does the show build from small 
tricks or illusions to a grand finale kind of illusion? How do you how do you build a magic show? In other words, well, magic shows are a little bit different. Well, they're kind of like rock shows. You start with the big bang. I mean, you come out with I have the biggest prop in the show. It opens the entire show up, and then you want to slow it down to some smaller things. You want to add as much comedy. Uh, if you can make people laugh, you'll you'll have them. And I have this this talent to be able to hold people for two hours and never they never get bored. So in, in putting together a production, there's a lot to it. You want to start out with a big bang. You definitely want to be funny. You want to be serious. You, you want to uh, tell stories where you almost got people in tears, so to speak, you know, it, intimate stories about life. And, and there's some grand stories that I tell in my show about real life things in my life. But, but then you want to end with a big, big you know, shebang. As you would do a music show, you know, so you see the Rolling Stones, they're going to start out with something big, they're going to end with something even bigger. But yeah, you know, it's a slow build, and then with me having no intermission, I have you know enveloped a beginning and an end. If you have intermission, you almost have to develop two shows, so to speak. But yeah, they're they'll be much the way anything else is. Thinking about the current show, describe that that first big illusion. What would I see if I'm sitting in the audience? Well, I have some dancers who will come out in theatrical lighting, theatrical costumes. Two young females that I have, uh, Serenity and Haley, fantastic stage performers. They do a dance. They almost get creeped into the audience. I also have two young men who are in black suits. I'm talking total black. There's nothing showing. Head, fingers, feet, and they have clocks on their back. And they creep around and kind of creep it into the audience. And then they all join on stage, and every light we have comes on, and it's all digital. I mean, it's all big light, fog going on. And a giant box comes on stage, which eventually lights up. Uh, they show it empty, close it, and then a shadow appears, and it's me. And then we vanish a girl uh, at the end of that routine, and, and off it goes. But it's an appearance. It's sort of, so to speak, introduced me. So, in other words, you, your appearance is as, as if by magic, in other words. Appearing nightly by magic, exactly. Not to, not to ruin the show, but what's the big finale, then? Well, the big finale is uh, an illusion that I took... And, and a lot of illusions, are, I've put my own spin on them by taking them, changing them. Sometimes I double the size of the illusion. But this particular one is a sand illusion where you take a big glass bowl and it's on a pedestal. You fill it with water and a little bit of paint and you put sand in it, different color sands. And then you bring them out one at a time dry. And then you throw paper in the water, you squeeze it out and it's a ton of confetti which flies all the way to the rafters out of my hand and uh, it's just a great illusion that illusion was uh, one designed sort of to be funny and a lot of my illusions I don't speak I, I use music that is powerful and you feel it as a multiplying bottle trick that I do it's a great little gag but it, it was designed to be this sort of drunken magician with a couple of tubes that makes uh, a bottle of champagne and a glass trade places well in my routine they're empty and at the end there's 25 bottles of martinis on uh, bottles of martini on the table. So, uh, you know, I took that and just changed the the focus of it instead of being funny and comedic into a serious multiplying bottle trick. That's the one that gets people, I think, most of all. Obviously, you want people who come to have a good time and come back. So with that in mind, what's the life of an illusion? You know, I, I try to change at least four things in the show every year. 
some things we pull out. And there's been a few tricks I've put back in that were in the show years ago. But I think, uh, for me, and having tourists, we average 32% repeat business every single night uh, by credit card tracking. That's how we know those numbers on the POS systems. But I think you, uh, in building a show, I, I will do it for the entire year. Then I'll pull uh, some things out, add some new material. People come back year after year, and as long as there's four or five spectacular changes, to them it's a new show. So you, you said you like to see others who do what you do. Do you get ideas from that? Or do, maybe you see an illusion and you say, I want to do an offshoot. I don't want to do the exact same illusion, but I want to do something. Is that how you get ideas? Or do you ever talk to them and say, that's so good, and this guy's, you know, 4,000 miles away. How do you do that? I want to do it in Hot Springs. Absolutely. Magic is a really cool, close-knit group of people. Uh, unlike the music business, which tends to have a little bit more ego. But I could get on the phone right now and call Chris Angel. Uh, I could probably get a hold of David Copperfield's people. But I reach out to people like Lance Burton, who was in Vegas for 25 years. And I say, look, I'm trying to do this. What do you think about it? How do you think we could do it? Or I'll have them uh, do a taped version of an illusion I would like to add and let them look at it. And they'll say, hey, what about adding this? Or what about doing this over here? Which is a great way to get ideas from other performers who are especially creative. But, you know, I can reach out to some of the biggest names in the world. I mean, I spoke to a guy a couple of days ago about an illusion we're putting in. And he was very kind. And, hey, man, give me a call. I'm headed to China for on tour. Call, uh, call me when I get back in and we'll, we'll, we'll work, the, work the details out. So it's pretty, it's pretty unique in that sense. It's just a bunch of guys having fun who aren't afraid and, uh, to share ideas and have some fun and help each other. Not to suggest that any of it's easy, but talk about the difference in skills required to do big illusions as opposed to up-close magic. There's less skill. I mean, anybody could take a box trick and make a girl vanish. It's the way you do it, the music you use, the, the fluidity of it. Uh, so the that's the showmanship. In the showmanship as an entertainer. Now, the close-up magic, those are the ones who re that require great amount of standing in front of the mirror, trying to fool yourself. I mean, I have some card manipulation I worked on for three years before I could do it. So they do require a lot of skill. Now, not that, the, not, not that anybody could do a big illusion, but if I showed you how to do an illusion where you uh, cut a girl in nine pieces, well, you could do it, but you're just not going to have the big hair in the black suit, right? <laughs> and, and all that, you're not going to be me. It would be your own take on it. But I think that those are routines that are choreographed, and I spend a lot of time on the right music and the choreography to make that illusion feel uh, as real as possible and an experience you won't forget because of that character. So, so in a close-up magic, talk about, you said some take you three years to learn. What's the toughest one you've learned? I guess it's self-taught. I learned mostly on my own as a kid. I got books. Matter of fact, I tell the story at the end of my show. I went to the library and checked out all the magic books. I never took them back because I didn't want people having my secrets. And it was my, it was a guy later, Mark Wilson's Course in Magic, which is this giant book. And that taught me a lot about the art form and how to do some of these illusions. But yeah, so I, in a sense, had to read books and learn from, it's difficult. Like a DVD, you can emulate the moves and here it is. With a book, you have to read each little line. Take your left thumb, place it under the card. Put, and so it is very difficult to learn that way. But that being said, that's, that's how I learn. The card manipulation is the difficult. It's very difficult to do card manipulation and to make it look like you're really bringing cards out of the sky. And I probably have 10 ways to do that. And each equally took a tremendous amount of time to perfect. Different shows that I've seen, whether they're on TV or on stage, there's the one where, where 
you ask an audience member to mark a card with their initials and somehow it ends up in somebody's pocket. And supposedly, you know, the, the, the performer doesn't know what that person's initials are. Um, I'm not asking you to give up the trick, but how long does it, learn, does it take to learn to do that kind of a piece of magic? Well, that's, that's a piece that requires a lot of skill uh, and, and time. My, my signature illusion that I invented uh, 12 years ago was in the beginning of the show, I get a $100 bill from someone. I tear the corner off, with, which has the serial number. Of course, the other part of the bill has a serial number. I give the piece to the spectator, and as a gift, I give them some cheese dip. I then go douse the bill in fuel and burn it in front of your face. At the end, I get the cheese dip back, I open it up, and I pull out a bill which is missing a corner, and it matches the one that they have in their hand. I wash it up, fold it together, and voila, it's back together, but still wet because it comes out of that yucky cheese dip. So that's a piece I admitted, and uh, I copyrighted it so no one can, can copy that bit. But that's, that requires some skill and some sneakiness and a couple of lies. I've never thought about something you just said, which is copywriting a trick. How do you, how do, you do that, and is that pretty common in your business? It is. If you have a specific effect that is different than anything else, you can copyright it. And, of course, the copyright laws will, will review all of those. So there's been a lot of copywritten uh, pieces over the years. And I've copied a couple of guys, but I have had to pay the rights to use it. But for me, I, I probably will never give that one up. That'll be for my kids to sell when I'm gone. But, yeah, there are a lot of guys who invent their stuff and copyright, and, they, and you have to you know, buy, the, buy the prop or, or pay the rights to use it. So if you pay, the, it's like licensing it and it's good for X number of years or something? Or it's a generally a license for a lifetime. Uh, say the cutting the girl in nights, you know, that was a trick derived from cutting the girl in half. Right. But uh, I started to buy one of those recently and it reached out to Hans uh, uh, Clock, who I thought was the owner of that particular illusion, it ended up being someone else, Gary Ouellette. But I uh, called him up and said, look, what's it going to cost to do this? And... Uh, he was really nice about it. So, well, if you've got the prop, I can sell you the rights. But generally, if you buy the rights, it's good for as long as you have that prop. So to, to wrap things up, without giving up again too much, what's the, what's the trick you're working on right now, the, the illusion that you're working on that you haven't polished up yet that we'll see maybe next year or the year after because it's that difficult? We're doing a trick now where I will levitate a girl about 15 feet of, of, of the stage. I will then float up to get her. Once I do, I pull the silk off of her, which I covered her with, and she's not there. And I will vanish, and I will vanish in midair, and a white silk will come out of my pocket and fly around the audience, and then go into a jar, which is lit up with a single light on stage, and bah, it goes into the jar. It's a very cool effect. It sounds like. When, when did you start on that, and when will we see it here at the Malcolm? Well, I started on it when I had a conversation some months back with uh, a guy out of Vegas, and he goes, you know, what's one trick you really want to do? You're buying these different, what's one you have to do in this venue? Because obviously you're in one spot, and you don't have to move these props. So we began working on the aspect. Now, we, we, the levitations I know, and I have that prop, but to get me uh, flying up there as well and to vanish myself was the, uh, the hard part about it. And then, of course, the other silk part was a trick that's been around for a long, long time. But uh, it, it'd be tough, but we hope to have it in by the first of the year. 
so we can present it next uh, next spring. But it's a cool trick, and we have to add. I mean, that's one of the tricks I want to do, and I'm going to make it happen. So as we, as we wrap up, yeah. Maxwell Blade, I've never asked anyone to do this, but a great way to end this. Go ahead, make me disappear. You're gone. Come see us at the Maxwell Blade Theater of Magic, Tuesday through Saturday, 8 o'clock. I've got the mic, and he's gone. Good day. My thanks to Maxwell for spending so much time with us. The theater really is beautiful, modern lights and sound, but a really cool retro inside. Now let's take a look at other things to do in the coming weeks here in Hot Springs. Here's our regular weekly visit with Jennifer Bailey. So like we do every week, sitting with my colleague Jennifer Bailey from our sister station, 105.9 KLAZ, with things to do. Lots going on in the Hot Springs area. As usual, the fishing challenge is still ongoing on Lakes Hamilton and Catherine. Catch a fish with a tag, win some cash. July 18th through the 21st is the Vulcan U.S. National Indoor Pickleball Championships. I remember pickleball, but it's just gotten so big. And Vulcan is a company here in Hot Springs that actually has specialized in making pickleball equipment. It's at Bank OZK Arena for players of all levels, and you can register online with Vulcan. It's kind of a big deal. Yeah. See what I did there? Dill pickle. Oh, no, I didn't. <laughs> okay, moving on. Saturday, July 20th is a screening of the movie The Day We Walked on the Moon for the 50th anniversary of the Apollo 11 moon landing. This is the worldwide premiere of the Smithsonian affiliate film. It's going to be in the Oaklawn Foundation Dome Theater at Mid-America. That is so cool. And they've been doing a lot of things about space out at Mid-America all summer. Uh, 23rd and the 24th, a mosaic-making workshop with local artist Susie Birch at Garvin Woodland Gardens. There's a charge for this, little less if you belong to Garvin Gardens. Register online at garvingardens.org. July 27th and 28th is the South Hot Springs Lions Club Gun and Knife Show at the Convention Center. $10 admission for both days, and the proceeds benefit site conservation work of the Lions Clubs and other local charities. It's a buy, sell, trade, browse kind of show. Other things you can do that you have to spend money for. Uh, Magic Springs, of course, is open through the summer. They have concerts on some of the Saturday nights. MagicSprings.com for information there. There's music and magic shows at the Hot Springs Bathhouse Dinner Theater on various nights. And, of course, you heard earlier in the podcast from Maxwell Blade, his magic and humor show at the Malco downtown. Check Maxwell Blade's website for specific times and prices. Jennifer, thank you. Thank you. And one other thing to put up on your planner, in August, the FLW is coming to Lake Hamilton. That's the Forest Elwood Cup, the Super Bowl of bass fishing, and it happens here in Hot Springs in August, along with a big free expo for three days. Now let's get to our weekly visit with Kimberly Bogart from Entergy Hydro about what you'll find on the lakes and river. So we're taping this podcast in advance of Tropical Storm Barry's anticipated arrival in Arkansas. So with the appropriate grain of salt for the first couple of days this podcast is posted, Kimberly, we should be aware of flows. Definitely. Um, what we're doing is we are closing the vehicular gate to down below Remmel Dam so that we don't have anybody trying to put in and float when we might have to do some additional openings at the, 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 the dam itself. Because 
our lakes are not meant to hold back any water itself. And so when we do get rain in, rain coming in has to go out the dams. So with the rain coming in last week, we are uh, preemptively lowering the lakes just a few inches to allow ourselves a little bit of a buffer to absorb some of the rainfall that comes in so that we can get dispatch, you know, personnel appropriately to the dams to open the gates and manage the flows within our normal bands. When you lower the lakes in anticipation of big rainfalls, what do property owners need to pay attention to? Well, we've been doing it for a couple of years now, so hopefully most property owners are used to it. But if you're a new property owner on the lake, please note that, you know, Energy will take preemptive measures to lower the lake slightly, but it's really only a few inches because we don't have a large variance level on our lake levels because we are a constant level lake, unlike many other lakes in the areas. We have a requirement to maintain certain lake levels throughout the summer and even throughout the winter during our drawdowns. So hopefully it should only be a couple of inches. It might be more noticeable at the backs of coves where there's a little less water available, but it shouldn't really stop anybody from being able to to recreate or use the lakes themselves. And then when you do have flow changes, obviously that impacts what happens on the Washita River below the Remmel. Correct. What we are going to try to do, especially during through the summer recreational months, is try to anticipate that, you know, there might be some changes to the lake, uh, to the releases at the dams themselves. We're going to try to stop people from putting in uh, on days where we know that we are going to get rain because we don't want to have anybody on the river that's going to have an unexpected change in flow that, you know, might have happened, you know, several miles away from them at the dam or for their vehicles down below as well. Now, throughout the summer, we will have pop-up showers, and we will try to anticipate and manage through that. Um, but if, like with this last event with Tropical Storm Barry, we're going to go ahead and shut that gate um, and prevent people from going down there on Sunday when we know that we're going to have to have some increased flows. Thanks, Kimberly. That wraps up Episode 6. Again, thank you so much for listening. In the shameless self-promotion portion, I hope you'll subscribe to this podcast, share it with your friends. We already have listeners in 11 states, so thank you. And thanks for the positive reviews as well. You can reach us on Twitter at HSThisWeek. There's a lot to enjoy here in Hot Springs, so if you're planning a vacation here, we hope you'll enjoy the spa city as much as we do. Next week, what about the gangsters in Hot Springs? We have a gangster museum here run by Robert Raines, and on next week's episode, we'll talk about the history of gangsters who came to Hot Springs to spend their vacations. That's next week on Hot Springs This Week, a presentation of KZNG News Radio.